Make sure you're subscribed to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Type The Word of the Lord Endures Forever in your podcast provider. Hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF is a recognized service organization of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod dedicated to translating and publishing the books of our Lutheran faith into more than 100 languages for our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Learn how you can take part in their work at lhfmissions.org. Welcome to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Wheaton. Believers, you see, have no problem publicly confessing their sins. It's a way that they glorify the Lord Jesus. That's what St. Paul did when he confessed that he used to persecute those who called on the name of Jesus, locking them up in prison, casting his vote against them, and sentencing them to death. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a daily verse-by-verse Bible study with the church, past and present. Pastor Whedon is leading us in a study of the book of Acts. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Greetings, people loved by God. In our previous podcast, Paul finally arrived back at Ephesus, having taken the long route over land rather than sailing. So entering the metropolis from the east, he runs into some disciples. They must have clearly let him know they were baptized, but there was something off about them, remember. Paul finally ferrets out that they've received only John's baptism and they didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Paul then further instructs them, baptizes them into the name of the Lord Jesus and lays hands on them and they receive the Holy Spirit along with his miraculous gifts of tongues and prophesying. There were 12 men in all who had this experience. Then it sounds as though Paul makes his way to the chief synagogue in Ephesus where he had preached before and where he had been begged to return and teach more. He promised to return if God willed, and so here he is. For three whole months, he instructs in the synagogue until the opposition to his message forces the usual split. He takes those who believed both Jews and Greeks to the hall of Tyrannus and continues instructing. And this goes on for another two whole years, and the result was that all the residents of the Roman province of Asia got to hear the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. A reading from Acts, the 19th chapter, beginning at the 11th verse. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, 
so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 19, verses 11 through 20. Let us pray. Grant, we beg you, Almighty God, to us and to your whole church, your Holy Spirit, and the wisdom that comes down from above, that your word may not be bound, but a free course, and be preached and taught to the joy and edifying of Christ's holy people, that in steadfast faith we may serve you, and in the confession of your name, abide to our end. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Ready to ponder today's reading? Let's dig into it. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Do you remember we noted before that miracles were not something in the apostles' possession, something they could just turn on and deliver at will. Rather, they were always a special gift, a special grace that God gave whenever and wherever he chose. We heard of no miracles in Thessalonica, none in Athens. There were miracles in Corinth that Paul refers to, see 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12. But here in Ephesus, wow, the miracles tumbled forth in extraordinary measure. Luke, a physician, remember, notes that God granted that even cloths that had merely touched St. Paul could be carried away to the sick or to the demon-possessed, and they were instantly relieved. St. John Chrysostom reflected on this with his congregation in 4th century Antioch. This itself was the most irrefutable demonstration of the resurrection. What does he mean by that? Well, his point is that Jesus had promised that his own would do greater things. And by rising from the dead and going to his father, these miracles of Paul, which Jesus was working through him, were proved positive that far from being dead and gone, Jesus was very much alive and active, ruling and reigning and causing these astounding signs through his holy apostle. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Once, when Jesus was accused by his Jewish adversaries, of casting out demons by being himself in league with Satan, Jesus replied, Luke 11, verses 18 and 19, And if Satan also is divided against himself, how is his kingdom standing? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, 
And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. This verse witnesses also that there were Jewish exorcists who engaged in spiritual warfare, trying to help people who had become demon-infested. According to Josephus, the Jewish historian, the formula they used for this was thought to derive from King Solomon himself. Some of the exorcists apparently were operating right here in Roman Asia, and they decided that rather than using their old formula of adjuration, they would give this new one a try. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And how well did that work out for them? Verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Verse 15, but the evil spirit answered, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? High priest is probably not meant to be understood like the high priest of the temple. It might mean nothing more here than a prominent Jewish priest who happened to be living in that area. When his seven sons try to exorcise this particular demonic spirit, they don't fare too well. The demon admits to knowing Jesus, how could he not know his chief foe, and recognizing Paul, apparently even the demonic realm was abuzz with the work that Paul was doing, and they no doubt both hated and feared him. But the demon is not intimidated by these seven men, and so he asks, but who are you? As in, but who do you think you yahoos are to be telling me to do anything? Or as Didymus the Blind, an Alexandrian teacher of the 3rd century, put it, Who are you to call on Jesus? For I do not perceive the power that I have often experienced when that name is called. Verse 16. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. One against seven. That's not usually very good odds for winning an altercation. But look at the remarkable strength the demon exercised through the poor man's body. He pounces on the seven of them, masters every last one of them, and so overpowers them that he rips off their clothes and sends them fleeing the house, both naked and bleeding from the assault. Let's hope they learned the truth. The name of Jesus, which is indeed mighty to save, is no talisman that we can use at will. It is indeed guarded by the second commandment in the Lutheran and Roman Catholic numbering. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Verse 17. And this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. As word spreads of this failed exorcism, the residents of Ephesus, be they of Jewish or Gentile extraction, they're all filled with fear. This is not an evil fear. This is a godly fear. It led them to realize that the name of the Lord Jesus was indeed a precious treasure, not something to be spoken lightly or inappropriately, but a gift to be called upon in every trouble and to pray, praise, and give thanks. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came 
confessing and divulging their practices. Believers, you see, have no problem publicly confessing their sins. It's a way that they glorify the Lord Jesus. That's what St. Paul did when he confessed that he used to persecute those who called on the name of Jesus, locking them up in prison, casting his vote against them, and sentencing them to death. So, in a similar way, these believers now come and confess what they've been guilty of. They can do this because now that they're believers, they know they are clothed entirely in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that their sins have been all atoned for by his precious blood. They have no more claim on them. By this confession, they're admitting what we sing in the hymn Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Verse 19. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. They didn't just confess their sins then. They also turned their backs upon them by this costly action. As Ammonius, the 5th century teacher from Alexandria, put it, every sinner must confess his sins and through his self-conviction turn away from continuing to commit them so that they become just according to the passage. Confess your sins first so that you may be justified. And the passage, just is the man who accuses himself. You can see the sincerity of these folks' repentance in that they consigned the books with their magic arts to the fire, burning them in the presence of all. The books were not cheap. 50,000 pieces of silver worth went up in that flame. Verse 20, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. As I said last time, this conclusion is so important to remember. Acts is not about the triumph of the Holy Apostle Paul. It's about the triumph of the Lord's word. In fact, it's described here in the same sort of words that describes the flood, which prevailed and increased upon the earth. So the word rises like a flood. Only this word breaks the shackles of sin and brings hardened and impenitent hearts to see the true terror of their sins, to turn from them and to receive from Jesus his forgiveness and freedom. So it wasn't Paul who prevailed against those practicing the black arts. It was Jesus through the word of his triumph. Jesus has come as the mighty Redeemer. See now the threatening strong one disarmed. Jesus breaks down all the walls of death's fortress, brings forth the prisoners triumphant, unharmed. Satan, you wicked one, own now your master. Jesus has come. He, the mighty Redeemer. That's it for today. Next up, we'll learn that while Paul is finally preparing to head back over to Macedonia and Achaia, and then up to Jerusalem, he sends Timothy and Erastus to prepare the way before him, but trouble arises before he can leave Ephesus. Demetrius, a silversmith, gathers his fellow craftsmen, and they begin to complain big time about Paul turning people away from idolatry, not just there in Ephesus, but around the whole province of Asia. That means 
that their trade, making those little silver shrines to Artemis or Diana, if you run with the Roman pantheon and the King James Version, this was being seriously hurt. People weren't buying their stuff anymore. And to stir things up even further, Demetrius insists that this even poses a threat to the great temple of Artemis and that the people will stop worshiping the very one on whose kindness and mercy, so they imagined, their city was founded and on whose benevolence it depended. Yes, St. Paul was hitting them in their pocketbooks, and they were not about to take that lying down. Till next time, people loved by God, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever with Pastor Will Whedon. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a listener-supported program. You can donate by check, make your check payable to The Word Endures, and send it to Box 616, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also make a secure online contribution at thewordendures.org. The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.